I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And And this this is Hashtag Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Hey guys, welcome to Hashtag History, episode 36. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And remember a few episodes ago where I said I was hopeful that by the time we recorded this batch of episodes, we would maybe be recording together yeah. in person Yeah, it didn't in the a... same room? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, no, it didn't. Um, us California girls are going into, at the time of this recording, week nine of quarantine. Yeah, it's been yeah. a thing. It's been a thing, guys. Now, before we begin, I have to tell you guys that this episode is all around bad. As I'm sure you all have already read in the show title, we are discussing today William Kemmler, who became the first man to be executed by electric chair. And in being the first, he was a bit of a guinea pig and things didn't go quite as smoothly as planned. So I want to say before this episode even begins that our feelings will not be hurt if you want to just skip out on this episode in its entirety. We discuss some really gruesome things in this episode. Not only a poorly executed electrocution, but also a horrific murder and uh, some animal abuse. I like how we're like, uh, a horrific murder and some animal abuse. And I I would bet money that... (sighs) 99% 99% of our listeners feel the exact same way. Like, there's you murder, with but then, cats. yes, <laughs> but then there's also animal abuse, and now we are all in a rage. Yeah. I encourage you to stay tuned, though, for the next five or so minutes to hear an awesome cocktail recipe, but then we totally understand if you choose to just cut out after that. But if you are weird and morbid like the two of us, Buckle up, because we are going on a wild ride, beginning with a cocktail. Yeah, so this this cocktail this week is pretty simple, but we're both pretty excited about it, I'd say. So excited. So, you know, when I don't have any inspiration for a cocktail, I like to go literal. (laughs) And this week's cocktail is no exception to that rule because it is called the electric lemonade. (laughs) So morbid. It's bad. (laughs) You making that sound um, right now just reminded me of in the Diotlov episode my favorite part of that entire episode is you at one point you go why yeah. like that do you know what part i'm talking yes, about that I, I like listen to that one part over and over it makes me laugh every time okay oh my gosh yeah <laughs> um anyways the electric lemonade consists of one part vodka one part blue curacao or um substitute with triple sec and blue food coloring which both of us did because mm-hmm. I'm not about to make blue drinks on a regular basis. <laughs> and then um, two parts lemonade. So after doing some research on blue curacao, I can't even say it, I discovered that the origins of this offshoot product are murky. Some sources credit a Dutch spirits brand 
called Bowls, um, B-O-L-S, with creating Blue Curacao in the 1920s. Others cite Senor Curacao of Curacao, a longtime orange liquor distiller located on the island of Curacao, um, <laughs> as having been the first to blue a Curacao. <laughs> I'm going to take a little check mark for every time you say Curacao. It's been about 20 so far. <laughs> but anyways, that's... Um, it's sort of considered like a bastardization in the fancy cocktail realm. Um, so I think I can um, speak for both of us when I say, please join us in drinking and enjoying this trashy drink. Um, I'm pretty sure we will. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Oh, that's strong. Mine, mine isn't as strong as yours. It I just don't burned think. my nose. Oh, yeah. Mine's not like that. Uh, yeah, I like it. I am afraid I put uh, more food coloring in than you obviously did. Ours are completely different shades, and I am afraid by the end of the episode, my teeth are going to be blue. Yeah, that might happen. Um, that uh-huh. was actually the reasoning behind me not putting... I put like a half <laughs> a drop in, and mine's like a, a light... Um, I would describe it as a baby blue. And mine looks like the heart of the ocean in Titanic, her necklace. Yeah. That's a perfect description. That's exactly <laughs> what it looks like. Um, but yeah, no, I would give it, it's just basic, simple. I'll, if I ever am looking for a drink, but don't, can't think of anything or can't use my imagination, I would maybe do this again. Um, yeah. So maybe a six. Yeah, I, I'll put it at a six too. Uh, you know what? I'm going to bump it up to a seven for me only because agreed it's very simple. Vodka, lemonade. That's delicious. The fact that it's blue uh, just makes it more exciting. <laughs> and we've so never exciting. had we've never had a blue drink before. So this is cool. Yeah. Okay, so let's start this episode with a picture of the man we are discussing today, William Kemmler. And it's a really great picture, Leah. So Okay. Picture. Um, it is a, a drawing or a caricature not a caricature. It's like a drawing portrait of him yeah. i'm assuming um and he looks like your average caucasian male <laughs> i don't know yeah yeah um he has a very very deep side part that is my one and and a, <laughs> and a pretty pretty good looking beard um yeah and some dark looking eyes that might look through your soul <laughs> depending on I the think, angle i think he looks like average with a side of rough (laughs) with the side of rough (laughs) yeah okay so let's do some background on who this william kemmler guy is he was born on may 9th 1860 in philadelphia pennsylvania kemmler grew up pretty rough like i just said his appearance is a pretty rough and he grew up pretty rough makes sense makes sense yeah (laughs) all of this logic makes sense His parents were both German immigrants, and they were both severe alcoholics. In fact, depending upon which source you read, most report that both of Kemmler's parents would pass away as a result of alcoholism. Kemmler dropped out of school at the age of 10. Although he could speak both English and German, he never learned how to read or write. And like his parents, he became an alcoholic at a young age. And his drinking got him in a lot of trouble. He was known around town, in the saloons, in the neighborhood for his heavy drinking and the chaos that always ensued as a result. 
One of those crazy instances, as rumor has it, is that it was while Kemmler was completely wasted that he, uh, well, he he married his neighbor. Huh, sounds so. like Vegas on a Tuesday. <laughs> on a Tuesday at noon. <laughs> Now, it's too bad that he was such a heavy drinker because he was actually a relatively successful businessman. He had saved up money to become a vegetable peddler, which was essentially someone that bought fruit and vegetables and then rode them into town and sold them there. He did this for a while in his hometown in Philadelphia before fleeing from his wife slash neighbor and running away with his mistress and his mistress's daughter to the town of Buffalo, New York. This mistress, her name was Matilda Ziegler, although she went by the name of Tilly, was also married. Oh. Yeah. But as the story goes, Kemmler and Ziegler, both totally unhappy in their current marriages and totally in love with one another, took off in 1888 to start up their own little family in Buffalo. Kemmler even went so far as to legally change his name after they had fled to Buffalo so that his wife couldn't track them down. This name only appears on some legal documents. It doesn't look as if he ever actually went by this name in public or social settings. Now, although things appeared to be going fairly well for the new couple, Kemmler's alcoholism still followed him around, which meant that chaos also followed. On March 29th, 1888, he returned home after, once again, drinking heavily and got in a major fight with Tilly. It wasn't uncommon for them to get in fights. In fact, other residents of the apartment complex where they lived were fairly used to hearing the couple screaming at one another. But on this particular night, the fight was extra explosive. Apparently, Kemmler had reason to believe that Tilly had cheated on him. Neighbors heard loud screaming, only to be followed by a deathly silence. Kemmler made his way to his landlord's unit and told her that he had killed Tilly. Supposedly, the landlord sort of disregarded him that is, until Tilly's four-year-old daughter also came to the landlord's unit and told her, Papa has killed my mama. The landlord called the cops, and when the cops arrived at the Kemmler unit, they found a horrifically bloody scene. It was later found that Kemmler had gone out to his barn, returned with a hatchet, and then struck Tilly with it in the head some 26 times. Oh, Flip an A, and then the four-year-old saw that. <sighs> and the four-year-old was there for the whole thing. The cops caught up with Kemmler shortly thereafter when they found him at a local bar grabbing a drink. The man just can't quit. I mean, I would probably need a drink after that, too. <laughs> no excuses here, man. He was arrested and taken into custody. Tilly sadly died the following day, and her daughter was handed over to the custody of the landlord. Wait, she survived the 26 hatchets to the head? Yes. She lived through the night. She, she... died the next early the next morning. How? Yes. Early, early the next morning she died. But That's... that is horrifying. That's horrifying. She was alive. Yeah, I I see exactly why you asked that question. Yes. Oh. She was still alive after 26 hatchet hits to the head. Meh. Gee whiz. Gee whiz. <laughs> Gee willikers. <laughs> well, blimey. 
<laughs> Kemmler's trial, which began on May 7th, was pretty simple. Kemmler himself admitted right away that he had killed his girlfriend and was deserving of whatever punishment the state saw fit. By May 10th, Kemmler was found guilty of murder in the first degree. Little did he know what the state had in mind for him. <laughs> Girl, that, oh, your timing is impeccable because when the sentence hearing on May 13th came, the judge handed down a death sentence. And this is where Kemmler would go down in history because the people of New York quickly realized that Kemmler was the first man to be sentenced to death since a new law had been enacted. A new law enacted on January 1st, 1889, that instituted death by electrocution. I just need to know who thought that this was a humane way to kill people. <sighs> it is a story and we're about to get into it. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to backtrack here a bit. In fact, we are going to backtrack by nearly a decade. The conception of the electric chair first began in 1881. Toward the late 1870s and early 1880s, it was found that arc lighting, a form of outdoor street lighting, was actually unintentionally, accidentally killing people i've uploaded a picture of some arc lights that leah i have no expectation that you will be able to like really describe because it's a pretty poor picture but just so you can kind of get a sense of what i'm talking about here I which have one two should pictures i do first? there um go ahead and do not the close-up one first okay uh, it's <laughs> it looks like um the arcs it it's an arc of light across the street mm-hmm um yeah (laughs) yeah yeah no like i said i don't have high expectations it's hard to describe them like imagine christmas lights arcing across a street kind of yeah 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 i think that's a beautiful description yeah makes you think of christmas time (laughs) um so then the close-up it looks like it says double lamp and single lamp and I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be looking at here, but this, yeah, this here was just to get a kind of closer up view. Of, there's nothing in particular here that you need to catch. Okay. Um, but just these are what some of the very first light bulbs essentially looked like. Yeah. So there, you can see the double lamp has two rods in the middle of it, and I'm assuming the arc of electricity crosses from one rod yep. to the other, and then there's a single rod um, as well. You got it. So, like I said, these lights were quite literally killing people. Now, not just random people, but like linemen that were going to operate on the bulbs. Did you know my dad was a lineman? I did not know that. Did he make a shit ton of money when he did that? I mean, he makes more in retirement than he ever did. Um, That's right. He's living living his life and he's happy about it. So That is terrifying. Uh, yeah, there were times where uh, substations that he went or like um, manholes that he went into blew up a day after he had cl- climbed. <gasps> oh, into it. my God. Yeah, I didn't realize That's... how danger- dangerous it was until I was older. Shit, mm-hmm. that is terrifying. The bulbs could be finicky and with some containing as much as 6000 volts of electricity could kill a man in an instant. Now, remember that the light bulb was only just invented by Thomas Edison in 1879. There was still so much that the world did not know about electricity. It was still a very new and very scary venture. I feel like electricity is still scary and hard for me to contemplate. (laughs) 
Totally. No, I'm still, I mean, we use electricity obviously every single day and don't think about it. But when you do think about it, it's still scary. And it's something that you should have a healthy fear of. Yeah. Now, one such person that was killed accidentally by way of electrocution was a man by the name of George Smith. Smith was drunk and, legend has it, wanted to enhance his drunken night with a thrill of electricity. On the contrary, my typical means of enhancing a drunken night is with a trip to Taco Bell. But hey, (laughs) to each his own, right? Do you want to tell our Taco Bell story? Or should we just keep that between the two of us? I mean, we have multiple Taco Bell stories, but there's one in particular. uh, I'm... I think I know which one you're talking about. The one where we picked up Taco Bell before going to lunch. (laughs) But then went to lunch and didn't tell anyone that we had picked up Taco Bell before. Like met with a... It was just Leah and I driving to this like brunch thing. We picked up Taco Bell on the way there. We get to the brunch and I remember... um, At least one of the ladies at this brunch that we went to telling us how like... Oh my God, you guys are so healthy and so amazing because all we got was like a small salad or something. Except the salad came out and it was f-ing bigger than my face. And yeah, so I was like, but I, yeah, but I still remember people like very much complimenting both of us. Like, God, you guys are so amazing. Like you have so much self-control. <laughs> <laughs> and we both looked at each other. We were like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Little did they know we had just picked up Taco Bell on our way to meet up with our girlfriends for food. (laughs) (laughs) But again, to each his own, my idea of enhancing a drunken night is with Taco Bell. George Smith's idea of enhancing his drunken night is with electricity. Yeah. Yeah. So Smith snuck into the Brush Electric Company arc lighting powerhouse in Buffalo and upon getting hold of a generator, died. Now, Smith's story is important because the coroner that examined Smith's body brought up this story at a local scientific society later on that year. This coroner also stated that it looked as though Smith had died rather quickly and even painlessly. How could and you a know certain, that? I, I don't know, actually. Like, how can you tell if someone died painlessly? I'm sure there there has to be ways you can tell, like little receptors, nerve receptors in, and stuff that didn't go off in the body in 1879 i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> i don't know but this is this coroner's theory he brings it up at this scientific society and there's a certain man in attendance whose ears perk up this man was alfred p southwick and be prepared to hear his name a lot because well because we're going to be talking about him a lot obviously (laughs) that would be why smooth transition Rachel yeah I mean I don't know what else to say here In the mid-1880s, the common method of capital punishment was by hanging, and legislation was beginning to take a lot of heat for this form of execution. Many people found death by hanging to be exceptionally painful and lengthy. In addition to that, around this time, there had been a number of botched hangings, people who had been hung that didn't die right away. 
I don't need to get into the details here. Use your own imaginations. It's not pretty. Because in some cases, people hung for a full 30 minutes before eventually suffocating to death. And really, let's not beat around the bush here. Regardless of what side of the death penalty debate you are on, being executed is gruesome, regardless of the method used. By 1886, the governor of New York, David B. Hill, wanted to settle the capital punishment debate. He was responsible for setting up a commission called the Jerry Commission, or by many, the Death Commission, to research and determine a more humane means of execution. This commission was chaired by a human rights advocate, a lawyer, and Mr. Alfred P. Southwick. So who was Alfred P. Southwick? He was a dentist. A dentist that was very interested in promoting execution by electrocution as the most humane form of capital punishment. That's not my type of dentist. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to pass on going to that guy. No, like I shared at the very beginning of the episode, this episode covers some especially sensitive topics. For anyone that is still here with us that did not bounce out after the first warning, here is another warning for you that I'm about to touch on Southwick's methods of animal abuse. I know, skip ahead by about 30 seconds if you don't want to hear it. I'm going to go through it really quickly. Southwick began his experiments of electrocution on stray dogs left at Buffalo's SPCA. Hundreds of them. These tests included getting the dogs wet, having them dry electrocuting them while they were in water, electrocuting them once they had stepped out of the water, changing the frequency and the current and the voltage until he felt he could successfully put together his theory. Okay, we're done with that part. Moving on. Okay. Southwick published his ideas in scientific journals in the early 1880s. So we are still talking almost 10 years before Kemmler was sentenced to death. In his theories, Southwick published his design to have the electric currents driven through a human body while sitting in a chair, thus developing the electric chair. Being a dentist himself, the fact that he thought up a concept that involved performing a procedure on someone while they were in a chair isn't too far-fetched. Yeah. On January 1st, 1889, the new bill signed by Governor Hill was enacted to replace hanging with electrocution by way of the electric chair as the new method of execution. Now, although the Jerry Commission had determined the method of execution, they still hadn't worked out all the kinks, like how exactly an electric chair works. A new commission, the Medico-Legal Commission, was put in charge of figuring this out and determining the best design for the chair. While serving on the Jerry Commission and gathering opinions from other scientific experts, Southwick had reached out to the man behind electricity himself, Mr. Thomas Edison, and asked for assistance with his proposal. Edison wrote back immediately and told him he wanted no part in Southwick's plans. In fact, Edison wrote that he was against capital punishment in general and would be doing his part to abolish the practice. Surprisingly, though, Edison wrote back to Southwick just a month later saying virtually the exact opposite of what he had said in his prior letter. Edison essentially told Southwick exactly the best method for executing someone with electricity, and this method involved AC. Okay, so ready for a quick science lesson? Yeah, I'm straightening up in my chair. (laughs) 
putting the thinking caps on. I never thought I would be giving a science lesson on a history podcast, but it's necessary here. AC refers to alternating current. The opposite of this would be DC or direct current. Alternating current is an electric current that reverses direction at intervals, while direct current is exactly what it sounds like. It's an electric current that flows in one direction. Okay, so why is this important? Because in the mid-1880s, there was a huge rivalry between Thomas Edison and his Edison General Electric Company and George Westinghouse and his Westinghouse Corporation. These were both electrical services, but Edison was a strong believer of DC service, while Westinghouse was an AC man. Okay, so is anybody following along here? 100%. Edison, okay, yes. So Edison made it his mission to propose Westinghouse's AC to the Jerry Commission, not only as a means of separating himself from the capital punishment debate, but also in an effort to portray Westinghouse Corporation as unsafe and deadly and not an electrical service paying consumers would want in their own homes. Uh, I was going to say, like, what happened to make him change his mind? He didn't change his mind. Yeah, it was all a, it was all a campaign. Isn't that so fascinating? These, this is why I freaking love that we get to do this podcast. Like, who knew this about Thomas Edison, that he was sort of involved in in the institution of the electric chair, but only because he was trying to, he was smearing another company, another electrical company. It's so freaking fascinating. Now to further Edison's point in 1887, Edison in a horrific and public display hooked up a thousand volt Westinghouse AC generator to a metal plate, placed roughly a dozen animals on the plate and then electrocuted and killed them all. I mean, it's pretty clever campaigning on Edison's part. He doesn't want to be involved in the electric chair, but he also wants to make his competitor look dangerous while promoting his own brand. Yeah, it is kind of ingenious. Evil genius. (laughs) It wasn't much of a surprise then when the Medico Legal Commission selected Westinghouse's AC generator for the electric chair as the best option for the most humane method of execution. To further the corruption here, talk about this crazy conflict of interest. The head of the Medico Legal Commission, neurologist Frederick Peterson, was one of the major drivers for selecting Westinghouse's AC generator He and was also on Edison's payroll. So conflict of interest here much? Westinghouse himself, of course, did not appreciate the association his company now had with killing people, and he protested. He refused to sell any of his AC generators to the prisons. But not to worry. Edison took care of that for him. Seriously. Right. That wasn't a good business decision. I know. Now, while publicly declaring that DC services were the best, Edison was producing AC service generators to the prisons, leaving many people to still blame Westinghouse for the new method of execution. In fact, there was even a slang term that developed during this time for someone being killed by the electric chair. People would say that that person had been Westinghoused. Oh, crap. That's right. Right. Now, if you recall much about electrical history, you know that AC services ended up winning out in the end. Westinghouse would still go on to be very successful. But this little hiccup in his career is certainly interesting. 
The Medical Legal Commission was also responsible for determining where the electrodes should be placed on a human to electrocute them swiftly and as painlessly as possible. Because although scientists had initially thought that electrocution killed someone by damaging the brain, they had figured out at this point that the true cause of death by electrocution is a result of your heart's rhythm being off, resulting in cardiac arrest. The commission ended up deciding that the electrode should be placed on the convict's head and the middle of the back. Now, let's head back over to William Kemmler, the guy at the top of the episode that we discussed as being the first guy executed by electric chair. Seriously determined to not be involved in this whole mix, Westinghouse himself actually paid for Kemmler to hire one of New York's best attorneys. This attorney fought Kemmler's death sentence, stating that death by electric chair was cruel and unusual punishment. His attorneys fought hard, stating that electricity is unpredictable and subjective. What might kill one person might not kill another. And while executioners were figuring out the appropriate amount of voltage to kill someone with, that someone is suffering under cruel and unusual punishment. Kemmler's attorneys filed appeal after appeal, and this case eventually reached the U.S. Supreme Court. But even here at the highest level, the court ruled in favor of the state. On August 6, 1890, William Kemmler was woken up at 5 a.m., dressed himself in a nice suit and tie, ate breakfast, had the top of his head shaved, and then was led into the execution room at the Auburn prison. There were 17 people there to observe his execution. And then, Leah, I've uploaded a little sketch that was put together to reflect the execution room that Kemmler was in that day. Okay. It is, a once again, a black and white drawing. Um, so the, I always found the whole audience witnessing executions, whether it be hangings or anything, like the weirdest thing yes. Ever. Yes. I don't know why anyone would want to witness a death, even if yeah. you disliked that person or ha- hated them. Yeah. Anyways, um, it, he's sitting in a chair. Um, Kemmler's sitting in a chair. It looks like he has some mask or something over his face. Obviously, um, there's a few people conducting the procedure behind him. And then there's a large audience of people staring with interest and intrigue on their face. Yeah. Now, Kemmler actually behaved in a relatively calm and almost humorous manner. He told the spectators that he believed he was going to a good place and that he was ready to go. And he asked his executioners to please take it easy and do it properly. I am in no hurry. Unfortunately, quite the opposite was about to occur. Kemmler was strapped into the electric chair with his face covered, a metal restraint placed on his head, and electrodes attached to his body. Dependent upon which source you read, they either flooded 700 or 1,000 volts of electricity into his body at first. It was believed that this would be enough to kill a man, as they had just tested it out on a horse just the day before. But after 17 seconds, the current failed and Kemmler was not dead. Spectators in the room could smell his burning flesh and they could still hear him breathing. They quickly then administered 2,000 volts of electricity. This was so extreme that blood vessels in Kemmler's body actually ruptured and bled. After eight minutes, Kemmler was officially pronounced dead. 
It was found that the electrode on his back had burned all the way through to his spine and the top of his brain had quite literally hardened. People in the room reported the stench as unbearable. Many stated that his execution by electric chair was far worse than watching someone die by hanging and Westinghouse himself stated they would have done better using an axe. Dentist Southwick, though, was, of course, ecstatic and exclaimed that his 10 years of work had finally paid off. Real quick, uh-huh. I know we were just talking in a recent episode about how, like, wow, I didn't know the guillotine was happening this recently in society. How uncivilized. But when you, like, compare it, like, okay, you're, you're dead. Like, you go up on the stand, you get your head chopped off, and you're dead, right? Yeah. Whereas Versus- this is eight, eight how many total minutes uh it took so let me say we're not necessarily there yet but by the time and it's so horrible and i feel awful using the word perfected but by the time they perfected this method an electrocution would be down to two minutes but still that's two minutes of torture of torture yeah yeah okay now Regardless of these horrific events, the electric chair became a common method of a capital punishment in the following years. By 1949, it was the most commonly used execution method in 26 states. Some of the most infamous to be put to death by electric chair include Ted Bundy in 1989 and Sacco and Vanzetti, whom we discuss in season one, episode four in 1927. The worst of these infamous cases is the story of George Stinney, who became the youngest person to ever be executed to death by electric chair. He was only 14 years old in 1944 when he was killed. He was an African-American boy accused of murdering two white children by an all-white jury. The story of his execution is horrific. He was so small that he had to sit on a Bible to fit into the electric chair. His conviction was overturned in 2014 because there was no evidence that he had any involvement in the murder. It's horrible. To this day, some states still give those sentenced to death the choice between electric chair and lethal injection. By the early 1980s, lethal injection had come to be considered the most humane form of capital punishment. The electric chair has seen a steep decline. After several botched cases in which people have been electrocuted but not killed, like in one case that involved a 55-second long stint of constant burning of the flesh of one man before the executioner realized the electric chair was not killing him, many states have turned away from electrocution. In fact, between the years of 1890 and 1972, the U.S. saw 5,251 executions by electric chair, But since 1976, we have only had roughly 160. Nebraska's Supreme Court has actually ruled that electrocution is indeed cruel and unusual punishment and as of 2008 is unconstitutional in their state. Yeah, I do have a question for you. Mm. Um, You keep mentioning like, oh, it still happens in some states. These states did this. These states do this. Is there any use of electric chairs outside of the United States? Do we know this? I'm so glad you asked that question. In my research, I found that the Philippines did um, institute electrocution for a short period of time, but they are the only other place I know outside of the United States, and even they don't do it anymore. Hmm. Yeah, that was an excellent question. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I try. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode uh, was maybe one of my favorite to research, which is morbid sounding, but it was also awful, but also fascinating. Anyway, everyone go do yourself a favor and go listen to either for the first time or I don't know, second, third, fourth, millionth time, episode 34 about the history of Disneyland and make yourself feel better. Yeah, magic and sparkles and uh, getting tipsy at Disneyland. And things that don't include animal abuse. Or children being electrocuted to death. (laughs) No, we're just talking about children on the teacup ride in the Disneyland one. That's it. (sighs) All right. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We will share the pictures that we discussed in this episode on our Instagram. Although this episode was awful, um, none of those pictures were gruesome. So we will be sure to share them on Instagram the same day that this episode comes out. If you guys enjoyed the episode, do us a favor and subscribe to Hashtag History on whatever podcast platform you use. Share it with a friend and give us a rate and review. And then be sure to check us out on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. Thank you so much, you guys. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Is the story of George. I don't know why I stumbled on that. George. The worst of these. In- G- G- Georg. Georg. I think of a. Georg. From a sound of music. Georg. <laughs> I just need. Maybe we'll we'll have a. You're you're about to backtrack. Never mind. <laughs> you need some backstory. Other site. Senior Curacao. Oh my god! I said that wrong. Some report. Ooh. Sorry. Pause. I just realized yep. your hiccup was probably what should have been a burp for what for normal people. But. <laughs> I was just like, mm. this is this is why you're my best friend because that's exactly what it was. It was it was what because I was almost gonna say, ooh, that was like a burp, but it wasn't a burp. <laughs> but you already knew that, so I didn't even have to explain myself. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's exactly what it was. Mm. It was like gas bubbling up that didn't come out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor thing. That's exactly what it was. I keep licking my teeth. I'm afraid they're turning blue. I mean, who cares? Who's gonna see other than me? You, yeah. I would love to see you have blue teeth. <laughs> okay. No, Tilly died the following day. The daughter. The, okay. He killed his mistress, Tilly. Oh, Tilly died. And the, then the following day, her daughter was handed over to the custody of the landlord. Tilly died. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, uh, did I say something wrong? Yes. She lived through the night. Covering my Mally's ears. Yeah, cover your little cat's ears, please. And I just realized I spelled evidence wrong. That's embarrassing. I have like a hiccup or something going on.